This is episode 43 with Andres Zuleta. Welcome to the As Told by Nomads podcast, where you'll learn how nomads, third culture kids, entrepreneurs, and leaders all over the world embrace their global identity and use their difference to make a difference. And now, having lived on four different continents, here's your host, Tayo Roxit. Welcome, everybody. Today I have with me Andres Zuleta. He's the president and founder of Boutique Japan Travel. Welcome to the show, Andres. Thanks so much for having me. So, you know, and I know your background, your last name has, you know, a little bit of a, um, a background there. Can you talk to me about how you grew up and kind of where you are right now? Absolutely. Um, you, you got it. My, ba- my background is uh, Colombian. Okay. <laughs> so, both my parents are Colombian, um, born and raised, but I was actually the first one born in the U.S., so I was born in Washington, D.C., and the way that happened was, you know, my dad's dad, my grandfather, had actually been the ambassador from Colombia to the U.S., hmm. so back in the day, you know, during that time, my dad had gone to high school in D.C., so when my parents got married, they, they both kind of, they were adventurous, and they were the first ones from their families to just say, you know what, we're just going to move to the U.S. Um, and so I was the first one born there. Now, so um, Colombian in America, how do you usually identify yourself then? I mean, I usually, it depends on the situation. So, <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm both. Um, I'm sure a lot of your listeners can relate to this. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm American and I'm Colombian, right? Right, right. So, I... It's funny because I consider myself both, and I don't usually try to put myself in a box. But no. you know, to my to my American friends who are you know born and raised American, I'm kind of like a Colombian, right? Right, right. They people kind of tend to see people as kind of the other, right? So mm-hmm. whenever I go to Colombia, you know, all my cousins and family, I'm the gringo, you know, the American, right? <laughs> well, um, no, you know what I, I think. <laughs> I think the embracing everything is, you know, it's kind of what the, you know, a lot of people in the podcast identify with because it's like you said, it's, uh, you don't, you don't necessarily identify with, uh, I mean, you identify with both rather and it's like, yeah, I'm Colombian American or American Colombian regardless of, you know, where I am. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, I have a lot of people that come on the show and they have, you know, several mixes and whenever I ask them this question, it, it's always like, well, I, you know, it, it, it's either it depends or it's like, well, <laughs> I mean, I don't really choose. It's just I am all of them. So, you know, it's... Right. I uh, mean, for me, it's, it's kind of in the eye of the beholder. You know, if I went to, you know, middle America, then I would obviously maybe be m- more chance of me being seen as Hispanic, right? Exactly. But yeah. if I'm in California or New York, you know, maybe I'd blend in a bit more and I just kind of seem American. So. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, I know a little bit about uh, you know your company, but I, before before we get there, I want to know 
when you started making intentional travels and, and why you started to do that? Because you've obviously traveled and lived, worked in several different countries. So I'm interested in, you know, in how that journey came about and, uh, you know, what you've learned. I mean, I've, I've been traveling since I was a baby. So it's always been part of my life because, you know, when I was born, both of my parents, they basically didn't really speak much English. We spoke, you know, Spanish at home and we used to go back to Colombia every year. So, you know, some of my earliest memories are being on a plane when I was a child. So I always was always used to traveling for long periods of time. You know, we'd go back for yeah. know, one or two or three months, you know, in the summer and just kind of live in Colombia for the summer. Um, and then, you know, once I was a teenager, I think I started getting really interested in travel again. So uh, I didn't really travel that much when I was growing up other than just going to visit family. But then I think once I got into college, maybe once I was around 18 years old, I got the bug and I just started traveling and every chance I, I got, I would just go wherever I could. So, I mean, when I was in college, didn't travel as much as I wish I had, but, you know, I got to go to places like Morocco, um, Europe and, and Cuba, you know, I got to do my study abroad in Cuba. So once it didn't, it didn't really get crazy until my 20s and then I got obsessed with travel but it was I mean it's it's been a part of my life since I was since I was a baby gotcha so now when, you, when you're saying Cuba was this before the the uh the ban with from the U.S. that you did you study no abroad? there was there was an opening so back when um Clinton was president he made it possible for cultural exchange right so I actually went to Cuba just to study abroad so, you know, I got to do a semester down at the University of Havana okay. um, when I was in college. But that program only lasted for a couple of years because uh, once George Bush became president, he shut that down pretty quickly. Yeah, that's right. And then I saw that. Because, you know, I'm, I'm completing my MBA right now, and there was an opening for some students to study abroad in Cuba. And it, it, was, it was very, very uh, it was interesting, the, the wording that was there, because it was, it was capped up at a certain number. It was a certain way. You had to be at a certain time. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, it was it was amazing. You know, yeah. It was very. It was it was regulated. Uh-huh. And it was very regulated, and we had to get you know certain papers, and you know everything was very, you know, carefully orchestrated. But then once we got down there, it was pretty free. I mean, we they put us all in one house. You know, there were there were like thirty of us. Thirty um, of you in one house. Well, it was a huge house. I think okay. it used to be an embassy, and I think actually now I heard that it was the Venezuelan embassy. Wow. Um, but it was it was just a massive you know old house. And it, you know, had a lot of rooms and well, beautiful, you know, kind of what you would imagine, you know, like a New Orleans house or you know, Caribbean house looking like. Exactly. And yeah. they pretty much left us alone down there. I mean, we had we had to go to classes, kind of, but they didn't really. <laughs> you said kind of. All right. It, it was more cultural exchange, you know. They yeah. Just, yeah. You just no. got to hang out with people and. Trust me, I I did the I did a, <laughs> I did a study abroad then as well, and uh, and I loved it. Absolutely, mine was in um did it in Greece, Rome, and Turkey. Um, and, and we had a class, yes, but it, w- it was just, you know, it w- a lot of the class was outside of, uh, yes. uh, it was outside of a typical class, and it was definitely very, very fun. Um, so, no, I am very uh, interested in that. Cuba is one of the places I've always, I've always been curious about. Um, I haven't been there yet, but I've always been curious about what it's like, so uh, it's good to hear that it's, it's good. Um, Especially me being a fan of keeping the food. <laughs> but, um, so, boutique travel. Earlier, uh, when I was, you know, I was talking to your partner, Christina, and she was talking about, you know, how you, how you guys work with the company and what that 
entails, but I'm, I'm curious if you could share a little bit about that with the audience and, um, you know, what you do with it and what's your hope for it. So, right. So Boutique Japan Travel Company, you know, it's a company that we founded um, at the end of 2013. And it's basically, you know, what I tell people, it's a, it's a modern day brick and mortar travel agency. But of course, without the brick and mortar, you know, it's 2015, you know, we don't really need an office. Our clients are all over the world. <laughs> and we focus completely on Japan um, for a lot of reasons, you know, which we can go into. And we basically help, you know, people from all over the world, um, you know, not just from the U.S., plan their dream trips to Japan. And it's a little different than, you know, what most people imagine, you know, either a travel agency or a tour company being like. You know, we specialize in cultural and culinary trips. So not really typical sightseeing so much as, you know, people who really want to get a bit deeper. Um, and then we only offer private or independent trips. So no group tours. So it can be private or it can be just independent where we kind of just tell you what to do and you do it. Um, but we don't have any group trips. Gotcha. Gotcha. So why Japan? So Japan, I mean, Japan is kind of an accident. So, you know, when I was in college, um, you know, one of the requirements at my university was to take a language. And I had always been really interested in Italy. And my whole plan was to go, you know, study abroad in Italy. And as you know, that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I was taking Italian. And after a semester, you know, it was really fun. But it started, it started to feel kind of unchallenging because, because I spoke Spanish and it's very similar. Um, and then around the same time, I had a, a good friend of mine who taking Japanese and he was raving about it and I'd never you know I knew nothing about Japan or, or Japanese but I thought you know maybe I should just switch because why not so I ended up switching to Japanese for no reason other than you know I was kind of bored in Italian and sure enough I just found it super fascinating and you know long story short it, one thing led to another I you know started taking Japanese then I was taking Japanese literature courses then all of a sudden started to develop an interest in the country and eventually I ended up moving from New York to Tokyo just you know when I was 25 finally it got to the point where I became really obsessed with learning Japanese and so I just picked up and moved and spent a few years living in Japan so that's kind of that's kind of the origins of you know why Japan and then that uh, it's been uh, all she wrote since then so so uh, well with Japan and you know, a lot of people, when they think Japan, they think sushi, but I want you to, can you dive into a little bit more about what Japan is about? What is it about Japan that, that's amazing that people would not expect, you know, um, beyond the stereotypes or any of that? Just Well, that's, oh, so that's actually one of the, one of our missions with Boutique Japan is mm -hmm. to transcend the stereotypes about Japan, um, because really when you think of Japan, everyone has something really vivid come to their mind, whether it's sushi or the bullet train yes. or ninjas <laughs> yes. or neon yeah. robots. Yeah. So, you know, everyone has kind of these clear, vivid images of what Japan is and they're all true, but, but they're all just stereotypes, right? Mm -hmm. So the reality with Japan, you know, the main reasons I love Japan are, you know, one of them is the food. One of them is the people. And then the other one is just the culture. I mean, the culture is so deep. And even though it's a very modern country and they've modernized and westernized quite a lot, you know, over the past 150 years, 
they still maintain so many of their old traditions in a way that you really won't find in almost any other country, especially not a developed country. So, you know, you can be in Tokyo or Kyoto and, you know, neon signs, modern restaurants, but then really traditional things are still going on as well, and they coexist. So people, I mean, I love that. People just love that kind of juxtaposition of old and new because there really is kind of a respect for the old, even though there's also an appreciation for the new. Um, so that's one amazing thing. I mean, you really feel the ancient culture when you go there. The other thing is the people. I mean, Japanese people are the most respectful people that I've ever encountered anywhere in the world. And they just have a respect for each other and for visitors and just for people around them. They're just so considerate. So it there's something about just being in Japan where you start to get into this rhythm, especially once you spend a little while there, where you just feel so just kind of a sense of well being that, you know, that everything is fine and that people are gonna take care of you and it's so nice to live in a place where, you know, people aren't throwing trash on the ground and, you know, people respect the environment, they respect each other. It's just, I mean, it's really, really profound. And then there's just the food. and I mean, there's so many other things I love. I mean, there's yeah. so many beautiful places, but those are the things I think that really stuck with me more than anything. You know, I, I can hear the passion in your voice. And, and the reason I ask is because en route to Vietnam, when I, you know, I used, I used to live there, I've, one of the places I would always stop over would, was Tokyo. And um, unfortunately, I didn't get past the airport, but um, it, it it was, you know, whenever we, we changed flights and we started encountering Japanese people, it was, you know, the whole Southeast Asia, frankly, the the respect in is always there. And I always loved the people they interacted with. But I, I was always curious because I'll, I'll be at the airport and I could see the city from there and, you know, we'd have a layover for two hours. And I would just, I would just sit there and wonder what, what the city was like because, you know, it's you see it on, on TV and it's so vibrant. I'm always careful. Not to, you know, use stereotypes to, to judge, a, you know, a country. Because just, you know, just haven't been ever, uh, traveling all over. I just know sometimes it's not, you know, it's not the best way. I always say that's a lazy way to understand cultures is stereotyping. So I always wanted to make sure I have an authentic view of that. So I'm always, you know, uh, curious about that. So thank you for, for doing that. Um, but, you know, Japan, Tokyo... You're, you you educate people about that, but you're not in Japan right now, if I understand, right? Is that correct? Right now, I'm in Thailand. You're in Thailand, yes. So uh, this is this is intriguing to me. So you you, you operate boutique, uh, you know, boutique uh, Japan travel company, and then you you work, I guess, as a digital nomad, essentially. Or you I guess you could say digital nomad. I mean, we usually just say um, we. It, it it basically you know when we set it up, we uh-huh. set we consciously set the business up to run seamlessly, but completely remotely, just because it's a it's a really high touch um, industry. I mean, we really have to give really good customer service. You know, we have to get back to people quickly. We have to make sure you know our clients are happy. You know, we have, we have to be connected and in touch and on top of things. So we can't just kind of disappear and, <laughs> you know, go on safari for a few days without Wi-Fi at this point, you know, maybe in the future when we have more staff. But 
but we we took a lot of care to set things up to just run just online. So it is completely, you know, everything is in the cloud. We have our phone system set up. We have all the processes set up to be super uh, lean. You know, you could run the business from an iPad, basically. Um, and that was one of our goals. You know, we, we just thought, wouldn't it be great if we could, you know, set it took a lot of work. I mean, certain things are not easy, and we, we along the way, you know, we ran into obstacles, but there there seems to be kind of a technological solution for almost everything these days. So we do travel quite a bit. I mean, this year we've lived in Japan, um, Mexico, Thailand, and, you know, been to so many other places, Hong Kong, the Philippines, Bali. Um, you know, I, I can't remember all the places we've been, but we've we've been to a lot of countries this year. And now we're heading back to Japan in a couple of weeks. We're going to spend another two and a half months there. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, the reason I was asking is because I'm, I'm always intrigued by the, the ability to set systems that, that allow you to work anywhere in the world. And with your with your company, it's, it's so it's, it's amazing that, you know, you deal with, you know, exclusively with Japan, but you can be in another country and still be as effective or, you know, sometimes even more. Um so I was curious as to some of the resources that you used because many of the people that listen to the show are very, you know, they have that wanderlust feeling and they want to travel the world, but they also want to be able to make a living. Now, um, they don't have to open a you know, travel company like yours, but they, they would be interested in some systems that you can set in place. I know um, Chiang Mai, Tha- Thailand is a, is a hub for a lot of people like yourself who are operating businesses from you know just thailand there but the uh, the you know the audience is elsewhere so um do you have any advice for that yeah i mean it depends on the business because i i know a lot of people who and it's true chiang mai is definitely a hub for for this kind of thing and a lot of the people i know here they basically they live online too they they run their businesses virtually I mean, a lot of it is pretty simple. So, I mean, I, I'm definitely using Google products all day. You know, Google, Gmail, Google Drive, etc. Yeah. You know, a lot of those products are free. I mean, you know, you start to need kind of ways to keep files securely located in the cloud where you can access them. So, Dropbox is a big one. Um, you know, Skype is one thing, but having a Google Voice number is really key. I mean, I actually... We have, you know, a few phone numbers, you know, business phone numbers in the States, you know, like an 800 number and then also just a regular local number. And then we get them routed in a variety of ways and they end up on my computer. So I can actually answer the phone. If someone picks up the phone right now, well, I won't answer right now because I'm talking to you. But, um, <laughs> you know, when someone calls us, they, I'll, you know, someone asks me, you know, sometimes I'll bring it up unsolicited and say, oh, I'm in Thailand right now or I'm in Japan right now. But oftentimes it just doesn't come up and they think I'm in San Diego where our address says. Um, you know, our goal was to kind of make things really easy for our clients. We, you know, we didn't want to be the kind of people who, you know, all of a sudden said, oh, I'm really sorry. You know, it's, you know, I can only talk to you at three in the morning because I'm in Thailand. I mean, what kind of business would that be? So um, the phone thing was the hardest for us, I think. So we finally figured it out with the virtual receptionist who we have. Yes, and then we also have a phone system called Grasshopper, which 
lets us be really flexible with, uh, you know, where our phone numbers forward to different phone numbers depending on the day of the week and the hour and things like that. So we can kind of control, you know, so we can make sure we're getting the calls you need to get, you know, at the right times. Yeah, no, love it. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, it's a system there. And then I think that the touch of having a virtual assistant definitely definitely helps because you're covering a lot of time zones there. Um, and I know for a fact that you're you know, living in, in Thailand or that part of Asia, you, you know, you tend to be at least 12 hours ahead, you know, of uh, a lot of the states in America. So it can be an interesting uh, um, challenge when people are sleeping and you're waking up and you're, it's vice versa. So you to make sure you're on top of that it is a challenge I mean to be honest I'm excited to you know we're going to be in Japan for a couple of months and then we'll be back in in San Diego and I'm excited just to have normal hours <laughs> just, <laughs> not, yeah no I, I, I did college when I was doing my uh, I lived in Vietnam during my college years and my parents would try you know and get a hold of me or friends would try and get a hold of me and it, you know I would just be waking up and then you know they'll be not like I have to go to class, mom, and, and then you know, and sometimes I'll get maybe a notification in the middle of class, and I'll be like, ah, I mean, I gotta, I gotta step out to answer this call because you never know. <laughs> a, but it was always, always that that caught in me of doing that, and then I would go there for vacation, and it's the other way around, just staying up late to talk to friends. So, um, yep. normalcy is good for sure. Um, so that's good. <laughs> uh, now, um, you know, almost gonna almost wrapping up here, but I'm curious. As to some tips you have about connecting with people when you travel, um, that's a good question. I mean, so it's kind of changed as as my life has changed. So back when I was younger, I used to use a website called Couchsurfing.com, which you probably know. Mm-hmm. And I was really skeptical of that website when I first heard about it because I thought it was really kind of shady. The idea of you know staying with people you didn't know. But I ended up using it in so many different countries, you know, Japan, China, India, Korea. And it's just amazing. So, I mean, I think there's so many kind of websites that if you use them properly, you can really connect with locals in a good way. And I think by properly, I mean, you know, fill out your profile completely, you know, only interact with other people who have filled out their profiles completely and who have, you know, have been accredited or, you know, whatever each website has. But, I mean, really amazing way to meet people because you know my hosts would you know take me out drive me around take me to dinner introduce me to their friends i mean it was the kind of thing that you'd never experience if you stayed at a hotel or a hostel or etc so i mean i I don't do that anymore um but now we often use airbnb and you know not only is it cheaper than staying in a hotel a lot of the time but if you find a good host you know, a good person, they'll they'll usually be a really good connection, you know, into the local culture. So again, it kind of it's a matter of not just finding a place, but kind of taking the time to find someone who's filled out their their page really nicely and has good photos and has a nice description and you can kind of tell they're thorough. And you know, if you show up at their house they're gonna have a whole instruction manual and they're gonna respond to your emails and help you with dinner recommendations and things like that. So those are kind of two easy ways. Yeah, no. And then okay. another way that you know I've kind of gotten into lately, um, and this is only something I started getting into after I got into the travel industry a few years ago, is just hiring a local guide, you know, a private guide. Um, 
I mean, depends on the country you go to, right? I mean, I, I don't know if I would pay for one in London because I can speak the language and it would probably be $500 a day. But <laughs> if you're going to a place like Cambodia or, you know, just a place where you maybe need someone to kind of be a cultural interpreter for you, it's such a good investment because usually, you know, if you find a good private guide who's, you know, not trying to rip you off or anything, just someone who, you know, that's their job. I mean, not only are they going to, you know, teach you about a lot of the context that you're seeing, you just get to ask them questions about the life there. You know, you just get to ask them random questions of like, you know, what kind of store is that? Or, Mm. you know, just the kind of thing that you would never find if you were just trying to wander on your own. Yeah. And, you know, I'm the kind of person who loves to just wander on my own also, you know, when I go to a new city. Yeah. But whenever I'm in, you know, Japan and I see... You know, a couple, a couple, it's always a couple with a guidebook, <laughs> kind of wandering around the streets and pointing at things. And I always, it's kind of fun, but I always feel a little bit sorry for them because they have no idea what they're seeing. Yeah. They're just making stories up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, one, one of, um, I'm going back to my trip here in, in uh, Europe when I did study abroad, then one of the best things we had was we had, we had benefits of having local guides. Um, and the stories that they told were, were probably the most exciting things. Also, I would say, side note, getting lost in foreign cities are some of the uh, the the best and and worst things at the same time. But I, I, I enjoyed it because uh, we got lost in Rome and we found our way back. But it was always exciting because as we were getting lost, we were just looking at all these places we never would have seen had, had we not done that. But back to the, the the guides, they you know they would tell you this. This local stories that you probably wouldn't hear or or, or read about, uh, you know, you know, in uh, in guidebooks, just because it's it's something that's that's really pertinent to the you know to locals and it has a unique touch when you're hearing it from someone who's lived it, who's heard it from his grandparent or her grandparents, and there's always that twist and all that. So you know, um, mm-hmm. that local guy definitely does something there for sure. You with um. You know, millennials and be- becoming more diverse, and it's essentially the most diverse generation um, ever. How do you see multicultural individuals making an impact in the world? Well, I mean, I think multi- multicultural people have a, such a unique perspective, right? I mean, I feel like, in a way, you know, we're moving towards just being a much more multicultural society. I mean, especially in places like the U.S., but just globally, you know, yeah. even if it's really slow in some places. And, I mean, what a, you know, what a gift, right? I mean, being born with two cultures or more, I mean, it's an amazing blessing. I mean, it just gives you such a different perspective. It's like having, uh, you know, I had a Japanese teacher who, at our graduation speech once he said you know when you learn a new language it's like gaining a new soul and because you know a new language a different language you know things are expressed differently you just have a new perspective and it's the same if you have two cultures if you're from you know you just see the world and kind of you get almost to see things in a deeper way mm-hmm. so I mean I, I think that it it leads to a lot of creativity um, and a lot of questioning of society and questioning of norms. And, uh, you know, uh, one of my friends in, in Japan, 
she's half Japanese, and in Japan, diversity is not <laughs> much of a thing. I mean, it's you know, Japan is like ninety nine percent Japanese, um, so it's not a big topic of conversation there because really only one percent or less of the people in Japan even care about it. Mm-hmm. But she has just been a huge proponent of just having more dialogue. I mean, you should actually interview her. She, she would be great. Her name I'll, is Megumi. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. And she, she made a film called Half, Hafu, which means half, or, you know, a person who's half Japanese. Um, and it's actually been a huge success, you know, in Japan and abroad, and just kind of raising awareness about, the, I guess you'd say, the plight or, you know, the challenges of being half Japanese. I mean, there's a lot of racism in Japan. They're not... It's different. It has different forms than the racism in the U.S. or other places, but you know, it's just kind of ignorance, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, just multicultural people doing things like that, you know, just really powerful. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I guess you know, in the future, we'll all be multi- multicultural, right? Or essentially, I, you know, we, uh, yeah, I think we basically are. Yeah, we, we basically that, are. It's just kind of hidden. That's exactly what I was going to say, and you know. This is this is the thing that I would say. It's like it, it's like you touched on all of them. It's whether you know you monoculture or whatever, but being exposed to different cultures, what that uh, makes you is essentially it gives you several sets of lenses to look at the world. Right? Um, mm-hmm. You have a fresh perspective uh, or you, a unique perspective rather of seeing things, and it opens your mind. And as you said, it sparks creativity. Just because. You start to see things, and you can approach problems from uh, all different angles, and th- that applies to entrepreneurship. You know, you and I are both entrepreneurs, and, and you're attacking problems, and you're you're starting to see things from, you know, way it doesn't necessarily have to just be this way, um, and, and it can be all that. And then when it comes to open mindedness, you start to see that you know. Th- Maybe you grew up a certain way and there was a certain method, but there are several methods that could be just as effective or maybe even more effective. And imagine what happens if you end up being the bridge between several gaps. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. You know, us, yeah, us both having that diplomatic background, uh, being that bridge is always something that that seems to uh, resonate with me. Um, for instance, because you know I, I'm from Nigeria and a lot, oftentimes. And Nigeria is my heart. That's it's my favorite. I mean, it's just where I'm from. Um, so <laughs> I was good. But oftentimes, when you you hear the religious strife between the you know Islam uh, Islam and Christianity, me being a Christian, but uh, Nigeria being 50% Muslim, sometimes you have um, that dichotomy in the, in the north northern part where you know it's it's not as uh, welcomed, um, mm-hmm. and it's. It, it, it always saddens me when you see when people go to the extreme levels to to impose their their will on um, or belief. So why I do what I do and why this is really important to me is I'm truly trying to champion that thinking of you know which we'll we'll get to that using your difference to make a difference where you're exposing yourself to different cultures and you're also thinking outside the box because I think not only is it something that can edify yourself but it's something that can really if, if it's embraced, can really seek to bring people together um, as opposed to, you know, the opposite. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I resonate what you said. Um, using your difference to make a difference. That's, I was just talking about it. That's my mission statement. How do you, Andres, sir, how do you do it? <laughs> well, you know, when I was 
kind of coming up with you know the mission of our company, Boutique Japan. You know, I, I don't try to fool myself that travel is life and death. You know, it's right. not. Yes. We're not curing cancer. You know, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> um, but here's the thing. I mean, at its best, I think I really do believe that you know travel can be life changing, and I've heard so many people. Who have had life-changing experiences while traveling, and I know it's a fact. So that's what we're going for, you know, with our company, is just to open people's minds. And you know, global citizens tend to be open-minded. I mean, people who have traveled more mm-hmm. tend to be much more tolerant and much more open-minded than people who haven't traveled. I mean, it's to me, it's a fact. Yeah, I, and, I, I agree. You know, with I mean, you know, so travel, so. Basically, my difference is, you know, I have a kind of a unique perspective. I mean, you know, it's not that unique to be kind of Latin American, you know, American. I mean, there's there are a lot of people like that. And then now I have Japan thrown into the mix. And it's funny because I feel like my identity is shifting. You know, I'm not turning Japanese or anything, but, you know, 10 years ago, if you had asked me, you know, if Japan would be a part of my life, I think I would have said no. Um... But I do feel like kind of a bridge, you know, between Japan, Latin America, and the U.S. And there's not a lot of understanding, you know, between Japan and Latin America. I mean, there's too far from one another to to understand one another. Mm. Um, so that's one of my future projects too. But basically, I mean, you know, I my goal, you know, with my perspective is just reduce ignorance reduce stereotypes i mean it's funny that you brought that up earlier about you know japan and sushi because it's a fact i mean that's just what people think of and you know one of my goals is to kind of um what the you know broaden people's perspective Mm. of you know what japan is by presenting different images and kind of deeper images and uh, deeper stories so that it's not just about the things because if you look at most most tour companies websites about japan i mean it's like you know see a geisha see see a ninja yeah (laughs) (laughs) have some sushi we try we try to you know to to step step up the game a little bit um so so yeah i mean that's it you know like i said it's it's not life and death but i i do think it's really important and I, i think that you know, people that travel, especially if you get to travel for several times or a long time, you do, like you were talking about a second ago, you start to kind of fill the gaps and see, you know, different solutions for, for things. Yeah. So it's it's just so important. And, you know, a lot of times what happens when you travel is you find yourself. Uh, and and I, this sounds like, you know, something out of a Hallmark card, but it's um, it's true. I mean, sometimes, I, you know, a lot of times, you know, you you figure out you know who you are but there's it's always interesting parts about yourself that you start to see whether it's you you realize how resourceful you are in my experience being lost and now i'm just directionally challenged i'm lost all the time so (laughs) (laughs) that's maybe something i have to figure out but um you know you 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 do find some hidden part about yourself when you you're, you're you know you're left there and you're like you know you have to talk sometimes with sign language and you have to be creative and you have to figure this out and you have to figure that out and um, just conversations to come out of it and it's um, 
Yeah, no. I'm yeah, I mean, it can be ch- it can be challenging for sure. I yeah, mean, uh, but no, I mean, and, and it could be in a good way. That's what, that's what I mean. You know, you find yourself in a good way, and you're like, yeah, you know, I didn't know I had that in me. Um, that's good. I'm, I'm I'm glad I was here. So, before I ask, uh, you know, where we can find more about you, I want to do this rapid fire questions where you're sort of telling me your favorites all over the world. So. What, where is, which country has the best food? I think I know what you're going to say already, but which country, <laughs> which country has the best food? In your it's opinion? a tough one. I mean, it's a tough one. Um, so I haven't been to Italy yet, so I'll, I'll reserve judgment there, but Japan. I mean, Japan is just amazing. I, yep, I knew you were going to say Japan. All right. <laughs> Mexico. Mexico is a close second. Mexico and Japan. All right. Um, what about um, country with the best music? Oh, man. I mean, Colombian music is so amazing. Um, okay. But I mean, the U- also, gosh, I'll just go with Colombia. I'll just go with Colombia. Columbia. It's just, it's if I had to choose like one kind of music here for the rest of my life, I think it would be that. All right, all right, and music. Oh, I mean, I said music, movies. Sorry, I went uh, said music, movies. Ah, uh, I don't know about movies. I mean, uh, I, let's just go U.S. Just not Hollywood, I, not main, not mainstream Hollywood, but U.S. I do think I think you're you know I think you're right about that. Actually. It's just kind of. You know, it's just the way it is. It's a lot. A lot of movies are here. Um, now, this is uh, this is the last one. But which, you know, how sometimes we were just talking about stereotypes and talking about different um, expectations. Which country did you go to, which maybe you didn't know what to expect, but you were pleasantly surprised when you went there. You're like, whoa, you know, that's uh, that's that's interesting. Um, yeah, Cambodia. Cambodia. Why? Cambodia, I mean, the people in Cambodia are just a joy to be around. I mean, I've never just had so many people where I was just like, man, that person is so nice. <laughs> that person so nice. It's just crazy. I mean, you know, everyone I encountered in a few days in Cambodia, not everyone, but so many people just blew me away with their, their smiling and friendliness. And it came from a place... I mean, I just came from an authentic place, and I realized what it was is people in Cambodia, they'll still stop and just look at you and kind of just say, like, how's it going? I mean, and not even stepping into conversation yet, just kind of taking a moment to just literally just be like, hey, how are you? But they're actually asking. Yeah, and they're really appreciative. It was amazing. Yeah, I you know I was, I was saying I lived in Vietnam. I was close to the area, uh, but that that area it, it's I was just blown away by how nice they were. It was just like, huh? And then you know they'll look at you and give you the eye contact. They're just really intrigued about the conversation that they're having. And it's I, you know you're like okay, well I appreciate this. This is what you know. This is how my day was, and you know makes a good conversation for sure. All right. Um, where can we find out about you, sir? What's what's coming up next? I know you're coming. You're moving to. You said you're, you're heading over to Japan soon, and you're going to be back in San Diego. So, what's next? And where where can we find out about you? Well, you can find us at um, you know boutiquejapan.com, and that's b o u t i q u e japan.com. Right. Um, you know what's next for us? We have a lot of big plans for 2015. We're going to Japan for a couple of months to try out some some new things, um, and we're also looking at some other parts of the world. That's still kind of under wraps. Um, and then on Twitter, Twitter's also really good, um, and it's just 
boutique japan but without the vowels so just b t q j p n gotcha all right well um i'll so put yeah, that come I'll, say hello i'll put that in the show notes and uh, i'll make sure to link out to, to that for sure and um no thank you for your time this has been really uh a really insightful conversation i really enjoyed it oh thank you so much okay you've just been listening to the as told by nomads podcast For more ways to use your difference to make a difference, as well as for show notes, head over to www.uidmag.com. Till next time, go out and make an impact in your world.